This episode, I'm joined once again by writer Aaron French to discuss weird fiction, occultism, magic, alongside discussions on the work of Lovecraft and Ligotti. I'd like to say a big thank you to all my paying patrons and subscribers for making all of this work possible. And if you'd like to support the podcast as it runs off patronage alone, please find links in the description below. Otherwise, please enjoy. So, Aaron French, thanks once again for joining us on Hermetics Podcast. Thanks for having me back. We are going to be, so normally me and you discuss religious matters, mystical matters, esoteric matters, uh, but w- there is another side to your work which uh, you have spent a lot of time on. You've done multiple edited collections and written your own uh, work in, in the, within the, this very expansive genre, which is a topic we'll probably get to pretty immediately but it is the the weird fiction cosmic horror lovecraftian mckennian um strange numinous genre really yeah. that we'll probably primarily be talking about weird fiction but also you know people like lovecraft etc will come in um so we're going to t- uh, tackle topics such as weird fiction the uncanny you know what is reality what is how does weird fiction differ from you know just your stereotypical horror um, mm-hmm. cosmic horror um, but before we begin you know just tell us a little about your history of um, editing and writing within this within this strange very difficult to define genre <laughs> yeah it, even if it is it, I suppose it is a genre at this point but yeah it's hard to to really nail down what it is and people could have different ideas about what it is but you know, at, th- at this point it's <clears throat> well known as a genre of some sort and you could put different authors in there, but there are certain ones like Lovecraft. I guess everyone agrees on that. Uh, he's, he's in this, this genre, but it really does get interesting in terms of like, well, isn't it just horror? Like what exactly is the difference between horror or supernatural fiction and something like weird fiction, which yeah, we will get to, but yeah, for, so for me, uh, it actually started um, my intellectual journey, I suppose, or my philosophical journey started with fiction, started with art started with like supernatural and horror fiction and then moved into weird fiction. And so I was doing that before I decided to go back into uh, back to school and do academic work and so mm. forth. So it was actually there first since I was a kid, you know, I was into this kind of thing. It's uh, still part of what I do, but it's like a parallel track now. Like the main thing I'm doing now is these religious topics, esotericism, uh, these kinds of these intellectual and academic work. But uh, that is also now informing what I do in in terms of speculative fiction. I mean, that's uh, more broadly, I, I'm interested in speculative fiction, and that's kind of where I guess I would position myself. Although that frequently has to do more with weird fiction within speculative fiction. But I've worked with all of it and with authors who do fantasy or whatever, or just straight horror or something as well. So um, it's a it's a good question. Of I mean, I, I guess you. I could tell you why I'm interested in it. That's mm. a bit difficult to, to answer. Mm. I mean, as a writer, I, 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 I gravitated towards supernatural and horror fiction when I was younger. And this then eventually like was became more refined in terms of what I was looking for in this type of fiction. And that's what led me to weird fiction. So at first, yes, I was just interested in like supernatural things, you know, like mm. people like the, the the universal monsters, you know, like dracula movies and werewolves and these kinds of things um th- that always did interest me but eventually it, it just was kind of like an aesthetic um refinement really uh, in that direction uh, wound me i wound up in weird studies and that really became like my home you know that's where it felt 
most of what I was, why I liked that those kinds of topics at all was what weird fiction was was doing. So that's where I really had done most of my work, most of my reading. And at this point, it's uh, what I do mostly is a lot of editing. Mm. So I am involved in curating what I what I think is weird fiction or what I would like it to be. If if you were to throw out a very just so people I guess have some text to sort of gravitate around though that is difficult in itself. If you were to throw out maybe a few just canonical if there is such a thing because it is sort of a fairly new definition as far as literary genres go weird fiction is it seems to be relatively new uh, mm-hmm. or recent. Um, if you were to throw out maybe a handful of texts to 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 anchor the discussion, what would you what would you pick? Oh, like specific texts. Well, yeah, I guess authors as well. I mean, authors. I mean, so you know, I, I'll just say, you know, immediately I'm thinking Lovecraft, but then right, <laughs> Lovecraft said, but then immediately I I sort of step back and say, well, he's so emphatically, you know, people would say he defined the cosmic horror genre mm-hmm. that maybe it is that weird fiction seems to be this thing that uh, you you almost always say you might not say this is literally a weird fiction novel. You might say it's a horror novel. That that also weird fiction was almost is 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 more often seems to be a sec the secondary genre, so it's like horror and then it's weird fiction. So almost you know, yeah, we're we're struggling to define it. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. that's why I ask for books is because that's probably the an easier way to define it is to say, okay, here's some books that that have this feeling. Yep, and from my experience, it's it's a, it can be authors, but a lot of times it's particular works of authors. Sometimes authors who are just literary or experimental or avant-garde authors. Sometimes they're horror writers. Sometimes they're science fiction writers. Sometimes it is true they mostly like all of their stuff can be classified in weird fiction. Mm. Lovecraft, I think Lovecraft is the first one to use the word, you know, in one of his essays and to talk about it as a mm. kind of thing, a weird fiction. So I think that's partly why he's so closely associated with it. But he was part of a whole group of writers at this time for all over who were working with some of these similar uh, techniques. It's kind of a response to gothic fiction, to the beginnings of science and supernatural fiction and the pulps and so forth. It's also, in my opinion, uh, a big response to the so-called occult revival uh, Mm -hmm. and surrealism at the end of the 19th century and beginning of the 20th century. And that's really the direction I'm most interested in at this point because of these, you know, esotericism topics and so on. But like Lovecraft, Arthur Mackin, Algernon Blackwood, um, you know, people like this, um, uh, Robert E. Howard, the guy who came up with Conan the Barbarian series is kind of fantasy mm. on one, on the surface, but it's a certain um, certain flavor and certain qualities. And it has theosophical underpinnings, right? I think They all kind of do. And that's one of the things I was thinking about as I was preparing for this is um, that like magic and the occult are, are central in a certain sense to mm. to all of this, what we're thinking about uh, as weird fiction. And at least because these are like things that are somehow out, they're already weird within a modern Western context, especially like in their times, like magic. And the occult, they still are exist, but they're somehow exist in a in a um, you know in, in a somewhat uh, in a tense way. There's a tension around them existing at all, it, according to the kind of paradigm of history. Especially when these writers, these early writers, were writing, it was in it was in a certain sense not supposed to exist, or it was on the way out, supposedly. Mm-hmm. You know, and now we are uh, in modernity, and yet these things were still around. So how to talk about them and how to uh, what what did they mean? And, and they were frequently used uh, by people who still found an interest in them, uh, whether a negative interest or a positive interest. They were used to drive some of this 
this fiction. And, and in, in my opinion, occultism and magic already does a lot of what weird fiction attempts to do. It tries to unsettle one's assumptions. It tries to, like, you know, morph the world into something different mm. that, you, that you're not used to and change it somehow with the perception of it. Mm. And it also is uh, about a, a kind of a peak experience of some kind. Mm. And this can be a peak experience that's very, like, sublime, or it can be just the void. <laughs> you know, um, so so I, I do think magic and the occult, which we're having a revival at this time, are are key to to as how this how this genre developed. If we want to. It's also genre defying. That's the the one text we looked at, the weird by Michael Sisko. The whole beginning part is about how it's kind of defy defy uh, defies genre. And uh, that's also why I like found it interesting is because it's hard to to make a genre out of it in the in the first place, although we kind of have. Uh, but the other thing is science is also key to it so you know this is why it's like very theosophical in a certain sense because what do we have there we have esotericism and magic and science being brought smashed together and the science in this case is used as a again for the same purpose that magic would almost be used as a way to like disrupt human you know assumptions of human of anthropocentric universe of human-centered universe and thinking we know uh, what's out there and science is brought in is like the big revealer of what's un- what we can't know, you know, and it's this unknown that science reveals to us. Other things reveal it to us, but clearly science does and did at this time in a big way. This was the horror of it also. So it's uh, it's a mixture, I think, of uh, of like modern science, which is totally weird. It's like I was thinking about this because nature plays a big part in these stories is also weird. Like what's more weird, science or nature? Mm-hmm. <laughs> whereas like the occult or something works with nature elemental forces in a certain sense and then science is working with these abstract laws yeah i mean there's a few things i noted i noted down from that so i mean and i'm indebted to a recent a recorded recently a discussion on the work of arthur Mackin, and something that was pulled out from that discussion really is this uh the um I don't think it's a it's a direct dialectic between the two or discussion between the two, but the approach for uh, the different approach, the different approaches regarding reason and the effects of the Enlightenment from either Lovecraft or Mackin. And for Lovecraft, of course, reason becomes this uh, really the highest of all things because he's he's approaching this um, he's approaching you know. This, this indescribable, irrational elements of the world, uh, the rationality and reason becomes almost like the highest good because that's how we can control and order and control all this. Whereas for Macken, that entry into the world, the Enlightenment entry, begins to disenchant the world. Um, it begins to sort of, you know, bring in commerce and capitalism and really what we now consider to be modernity. And so the, 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 the sort of, I guess in a way, they're both, they both are discussing the same battle, which I think is happening within weird fiction, which is really the discussion of um, what happened to all that old stuff, right? What happened, you know, and this is why the 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 modern, and I mean modern in the sense of beginning from like the early nineteenth uh, century, like with people like Mathers and the Golden Dawn, you know, with respect to um, why modern Western occultism, especially, is so important because. Um, it's very much its own thing. It has its very much its own lineage, but it's that question of well, what happened to that enchanted world. And I think for Macken, he's explicitly trying to find places where it it's um, 
even though the modern reasoned world, enlightened world, at, at that time had really begun that secular atheistic push, um, mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's finding areas where it's almost flowing through without their say-so. Um, or it's been held throughout history, such as the story of the secret glory, where um, the the Holy Grail has been sort of hidden away, and it's in the modern world. And it's a very peculiar feeling in that. Whereas Lovecraft, I think, is the is the inverse of that, where the reason is the good, and the thing that's coming through is like this. This shouldn't be. So they have a difference of I think. For Macken really enjoys those moments where it comes through, and Lovecraft mm-hmm. almost wants to stifle them. But between yeah. those two is 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 really I think. There's the conversation of if something is weird fiction with an emphasis on weird, it presupposes a reality, a normality, which is, I think, the the, the key element that all of these, the, the weird fiction genre is within. It's it's placed itself usually within a reality and a norm and a quote unquote normality that we all can relate to, um, and then that's what makes the weird stand out. Unlike something such as Bram Stoker's Dracula, right, where you know he's traveling to the absolute rural outskirts of horrible, a very very gloomy Transylvania, and going to the most spooky of spooky castles. I mean, this isn't uh, a realistic setting in the sense of you know a vampire perhaps being in, I don't know. Uh, a 19th century boarding house or something you know or just walking yeah. the streets of london so there is that um that battle of something you know you have there has to be a normal presupposed otherwise we'd never get the 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 feeling that we do from these 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 works yeah there's definitely a realism as part of it and that's why i think it, it it's a, it's coupled with modernism you know modernism has its own ideas about what it is but i think at this point or at at the time i mean when these artists and this sort of speak like a movement but now i think it's pretty clear that what modernism was not just like pure stripped down naturalistic style it was also the occult the revival you know mm-hmm. so there was kind of two aspects of um of modernism and they're they're brought together in something like weird fiction that you have this very naturalistic element like a lot of the weird fiction stories or have take place in nature and nature is a huge part of it but it isn't nature it's nature that has like a life of its own and that it has somehow ha- has this like aura and glow of this this old time that you're referring to like mm-hmm. this at the time prior to modernity and yet a lot of times the experiences that one has in these weird fiction novels the, the protagonists in a place like nature sometimes there is yes a cat like uh, something shows up like in bram stoker's dracula there's a castle that he goes to and then you mm. you get the full gamut of like of a of a being and you know dreams and 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 wolves and that does kind of happen in weird fiction but more often than not like not a not much happens Mm -hmm. but something is happening inside the person in response to something outside and though i have a very idiosyncratic actually kind of idea of what weird fiction is and i because i'm into esotericism i people like mackin that's more the kind of weird fiction that I that I like. I started with Lovecraft and ended up more mm-hmm. with Mackin. And also like Dion Fortune, uh, her fiction is also weird fiction for me as well. So and then I liked um, Charles Williams, who was a, a member of the Inklings. Some of his novels like that is a kind of weird fiction that incorporates esotericism, incorporates supernatural kind of beginnings of magical realism too but it's still for me a weird fiction and that's the kind that i'm most interested in at the same time though there is this like other strand which is lovecraft and also another author who's quite well known now who, who i like a lot thomas Ligotti. Mm. 
he's another uh he, he not that he's some kind of inheritor of Lovecraft although there are some similarities and some people have argued that but they the two of them are more on this side of like revealing the void uh rather than the enchantment or, or something either way it's not really um the enchantment and the void n- neither are necessarily um welcoming to humans to the modern human like either way there's a there's um uh, there's a breakdown of of consensus reality or of assumptions or the structures of cognition that the the protagonist has it's just that they do it through, through different ways and and i tend to to like the 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 magical part more because the magical part is is instructive in a certain way like but what i find weird about Dion fortune's novels for example and her short stories is she has put in there like uh little tricks uh and things to try to trigger and enhance one's spiritual development there's like teachings within the the fiction itself like i wrote a, a short story once called um and it was in my my short story collection it was called uh horror fiction as a mystical didactic Mm-hmm. teachings or something like that and i was probably thinking about Dion fortune when i did this because it, it's instructive in a certain way and it is trying to instruct you how to have these kinds of experiences how to experience the magical uh, something like lovecraft or thomas Ligotti is also doing that in the background but they want you to just uh they want the the floor to open from beneath you and you to fall through it uh, in both cases that's basically happening but i just found that um with the with the magical uh writers um there's a bit more f- for me in there in addition to just the the floor opening so to speak and the abyss appearing yeah and, and i mean so i had a recently had a just connected to that modernism line um i recently had a discussion with um a scholar called steve dowden who wrote a book modernism and mises about the the two form the two writing styles going off um, the book by Auerbach Mimesis are, that that are most prominent in modernism and his argument really is that from this that the genre of modernism doesn't really exist as we think it does but the just in short mm-hmm. uh, if you take a book like Ulysses which would really be called like the peak of modernism I mean that's a book where you know over the course of twenty four hours in the book Joyce is trying to describe absolutely every single you know element of reality he's trying to use words to describe everything down to an absolute t whereas in the same breath a book kafka's works would be considered within modernism which are almost exactly the opposite in writing style that they're so minimal that the what's mm-hmm. what's what's actually bringing the story forward is is um the expanse you know and i i you know this this what, what's left out is what's far more important and i think um i sort of I've been intrigued by this argument because I think that it's certainly more the Kafka style that has been brought through to, I think, Rife, or, or well, the, the the second of those styles in terms of modernism that's been brought through to writers like, um, especially Macken, this sense of, in a way, there's a great irony of trying to describe, trying to be explicit that that the writer is trying to describe that which cannot be described, which of course becomes somewhat of a uh, of a meme with Lovecraft, where he will be explicit and say, you know, the 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 labyrinth was indescribable, Cthulhu is indes- indescribable, right? There's a great mm-hmm. irony in that that the written sentence is about the indescribability of something, and I think for me, um, that is honestly where Lovecraft actually kind of deflates because. And it's my own preference for Macken is is in the attempt to describe really what we're talking about the void, the weird. 
that is where the weird is, is in that um, impasse of human inability, where, you know, an accepting of the irrational and accepting of the weird, but an attempt anyway to try to describe that, whereas Lovecraft sort of is almost very, uh, almost um, volatile against the irrational. It's indescribable, you know, and then they went mad. And, I, mm-hmm. you know, there's a difference between a sort of, wishing that you could have the Ulysses type style and wishing it could be described. Oh, and if it can't be described, guess what? You just go mad. And then Macken on the other hand of, well, actually this is more, more numinous. It's more of an atmosphere and, and, and something happens in the inner, in the inner world as you were describing. And I know I've been talking a lot on this, but I just want to throw in that. I think one of the most important things in this, you know, you mentioned a book by Cisco. um, And the quote that, that, that stood out to me is that, um, the supernatural cannot be replaced with psychology. And I think there's an emphasis in in weird fiction that what is there isn't simply um, psychological phenomena, maybe not even in the Freudian sense. And I think that is, in a way, it's almost like a, a bell curve in the sense that in the 18th, uh, 19th century, you had this peak of modernism, of, re- of, of modernity, of reason, of rationalism, which in its way pulls in Darwin, then mm-hmm. eventually behaviorism, you know, this absolute mm-hmm. control. And then on the other side of the curve, we've now sort of sort of had this acceptance of being at least um, sometimes hinting and sometimes being more explicit that these aren't simply psychological phenomena and this is something more. Um, so sort of going back, but equally bringing that into the present day. Like it just doesn't, these two things don't belong together and it's always, I think it's always battling that middle ground of like, we had a moment where we were completely in control and now we're like, yeah, we're really, you mm-hmm. know, that was a blip. That was an anomaly of history that we thought we were in control. We're really not. Well, and you had like optimistic science fiction, like H.G. Wells, some of his, was writing roughly the same time. Some of his stories could be weird fiction, but there's like an optimism about science there. Whereas for Lovecraft science, he's also an atheist. He's a, he's a pessimist, you know? Mm -hmm. So he's also pro science. I, you know, that could just, we could argue about that, but, but at the same time, science for him is, is just, um, it's, he's not optimistic about it. It's opening up this, this void, this space of unknown. And I don't think, I mean, I know he's like very pessimistic and when he's writing fiction and when he's writing nonfiction, it's different, but I, his like visions of these you know his philosophy is known as uh, cosmicism mm. so this idea that there is this huge cosmos out there and that there it, we are small and insignificant in comparison and we're basically just you know Christopher the mill of this cosmos which is just destroying matter <laughs> and remaking it something like this but he also talks about beings out there mm. you know gigantic alien things entities out there that don't care about human human beings at all. They have no significance for humans. And so I, I don't think he was just talking about that in like a metaphorical way, because in the scientific paradigm, it is that it is technically feasible that there is some, you know, other species out there. And uh, science fiction is all about imagining what that would be like if they came and contacted us. So I, I do think that for, for him, there is an actual unknown out there in the universe that there could be something out there and his imaginations about what those things could be. In one sense, they're very historical and contextual about <laughs> social issues at the time, but it's also related to this doorway that that science opens up. And, and um, it was interesting because we looked at the 
the weird by michael cisco and then we looked at the the weird and the eerie by mark fisher and we're kind of comparing some of these and i was thinking you know about the quote about psychology and, and they're both doing similar things but they're also um there's also some some different approaches there to the weird in both of those books and the way that mark fisher starts it is to talk about uh, freud and psychology you know whereas mark's um uh, cisco goes more about um into the supernatural its place um where does it where does it belong i mean he he's more looking at at how it functions in there and what i wanted to what what for me stood out is you know the the essay at the beginning that the from freud like if we're looking at psychology psychoanalysis in particular uh beginning with freud he talks about the essay uh the uncanny hmm. or das unheimliche and his argument there is that um well he's he's talking about other commentators on freud who have, who have basically just described freud as himself a kind of weird like psychoanalysis is this kind of weird tale and that essay in particular which freud uses a weird tale from et hoffman uh to describe what he's calling the uncanny or uh das unheimliche and there is something about there is actually something uh similarities here between psycho birth of psychoanalysis and and weird fiction mm -hmm. um it's just that psychoanalysis definitely then provides an answer for these things mm. but um they're working with similar um how to put it like similar uh assaults on the on the psyche <laughs> that that were happening and so the, the word you know when he's talking about this word um the uncanny uh it can mean you know, it means unheimlich in german means heimlich can mean like home like like the home so it's mm. it's weird it's unfamiliar because it's not like the home mm. but the word in german is also uh for secret is geheimnis and so this heim is also about uh hidden things so heimlich can also be something you, is that's hidden and so unheimlich is like a is a revealing of sorts and in uh there's a famous i was going to look up the title but i didn't have time there's a an essay that that freud wrote that it, it it's more well known in german it has been translated into english it's kind of hard to find i forget the title but in this he talks about the three illnesses of the modern mm. person and the first one is copernicus uh, or whatever discovering that you know the the earth is not this that the earth removes around the sun and that the sun is not uh it's not a geocentric universe uh and so on and um you know, god now i'm going to forget what, can, what these are can, can so there's the copernican revolution is that the uh the, everything in the universe doesn't revolve around us then the, right. can, the kantian revolution that you know almost like the reality that we have doesn't revolve around us and then the freudian revolution right. is that our own mind isn't yeah, exactly that's them and then there is you could say even further on that some people have argued and i probably agree with them that Deleuze and Guattari because I know Deleuze might come up later on but Deleuze and Guattari mm -hmm. have a further revolution where you know even even the unconscious isn't really completely tethered you know our own thoughts really aren't on our own we look at something like anti-Oedipus for that um yeah, these, yeah. Revo these revolutions just keep keep happening Right, but like if we stick to the time in which Freud is, those yeah. are the three. Like the first one is um, we are not the center of the universe. The second one is actually Darwin, and Darwin is the idea that we are not the creation of some benevolent creator being, or even a non-benevolent uh, evil creator being, but rather we're like part of this process of nature, you know, and have evolved over out of these other uh, forms. 
and then the third one is this so the first one is not the center of the universe the second one is not the product of a creator being there is no creator mm. and then the third one is the unconscious and the unconscious the discovery of the unconscious supposedly for him is this third sickness of the modern because it reveals that you it's you there you are not in control of your i guess your thoughts but more your emotions your whole life you know that there's some yeah. element controlling you like a puppet master <clears throat> some forces back there in the abyss that you're not aware of yeah so i mean and this is really exploding into psychoanalysis so the two i guess the two and i think it's important because it's certainly the it's certainly the strange bridge at that time um, mm -hmm. between from from sort of the enlightenment from modernity through to something strange again and i mean there's there's two other figures who have uh one of course sort of doesn't need to be mentioned which is carl jung but then i think the the figure who i think is of real importance for our discussion who is within all three camps that we're talking about here which is psychoanalysis occultism and weird fiction is Dion Fortune who begins right. her life and goes through very early psychoanalysis and as it, as was the case in those days um early psychoanalytical patients would eventually would more often not become psychoanalysts she becomes a psychoanalyst while she's also studying stuff with the Theosophical Society and realizes that that stuff is 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 you know psychoanalysis has limits that, that just can't really help people and she basically found that people who stuck to healthier you know nowadays many people would call her a very conservative occultist um yeah. but people who stick to a, a, a more conservative spiritual regime that helped them far more than psychoanalysis there was very clear limitations to psychoanalysis for her um and i i would probably agree in the sense that when we're talking about control we're talking about trying to trying to rein in these problems these sort of ruptures that have happened in our security mechanisms you know psycho psychoanalysis does like to you know the joke in philosophy is that if you have a problem you just pull ontology out of the top hat you go oh, it's on it's ontology <laughs> as if that answers anything and i think really the same the same often applies with oh you know, what the writer means here is the unconscious, as if that answers anything. Um, and I think that's where Jung becomes more important because with Freud, I think you you remain, to be honest, you know, after my chat about Otto Gross, with Freud, you remain very patriarchal. You remain mm -hmm. very, like, upper society. We'll deal with your conscious. It's all to do with your mother and father. It's, all very, it's all very um, <laughs> above board, bourgeoisie mm -hmm. problems. Mm -hmm. um, and then you move through to Jung, and I think he's at least starting to say, look, all right, if we're going to deal with this unconscious, which apparently this is a complete unknown zone, well, you, you get through to the things like the Red Book. And mm -hmm. he's, he's, he's accepting that there's, there's so much more going on there with the collective unconscious, with archetypes. And then if you go to the Red Book, with, with beings as well. And I don't, I don't think these for Jung could be subsumed into simply psychological phenomena. Uh, mm. they, 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 I, th I would, I would say, um, that they, 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 they're the, the, the discussion I think maybe we're tiptoeing around is, the movement away from completely centralized agency of ourselves to there's something else which is affecting me which does have its own agency and we yeah. don't have control of that and it yeah yeah well and i think like in that essay by freud he tries to give the answer for this story by eta hoffman i can't remember the name of this story but it's about um like an automaton that's creation or, mm. or created or something and he has his theories that he's developed so the story ends up being about the loss of eyes of the character which is the a symbol for castration or so it's about fear of, of losing your power in some way so he has an answer for it but 
my point about this is that the weird fiction authors like attempt to open up the same space that Freud is talking about. It's really opening up the unconscious, whatever that is, however you want to define it. <laughs> and people were talking about such a space before Freud in German idealism and calling it different things, you know. You could just call it the spiritual world. In fact, that's what Rudolf Steiner did. Rudolf Steiner didn't like Freud and Jung because they called this place that he called the spiritual world the unconscious. Mm -hmm. And for him, that was like reducing it or something. Um, the, the weird fiction authors, including Lovecraft, they do not want to provide the answer. They want to just open that space and something is revealed. This uncanny is revealed. Uh, this goes on into like Thomas Ligotti, for example, who, who's someone I've read a lot of. I probably read more of him than uh, Lovecraft, even though when I was younger, I, of course, read most or a lot of Lovecraft things. It's just been a long time since since I have. But Ligotti, I've read more recently and think about more. And he's definitely trying to open up um, the space in which you realize you're not in control mm. of, of your reality, you know, fully and but then the, the the goal is not then to then say some kind of interpretive uh, move like what Freud does. The goal is really just to produce that experience for the reader. And that's what they're they're trying to do. Um, even the esoteric ones like um, like Dion Fortune and Arthur Mackin and Charles Williams, they then they do have some esoteric overlay, which is a kind of interpretation, I suppose. But you know, Freud, um, Lovecraft has his cosmicism. Ligotti has his conspiracy against the human race. So they have their little theories uh, as well. But the story itself is trying not to like put those through as a treatise would. It's just trying to open up something in the reader to destabilize them, and then that's kind of it. Because the the, the move is just to is the destabilization um, of the reader. However, after the destabilization occurs, it is possible then to uh, move to a, like a crescendo of a type. And, and this is also why I originally was drawn to weird fiction, because I was having my own like spiritual, um, what to call them, like spiritual development journey. And there were kinds of experiences I was having that I wanted to translate into fiction. If someone's smart, they would just do it with poetry, actually. But I'm no good at poetry, so I couldn't do that. And so I, I turned to weird fiction as a way to like, how could one reproduce this experience in the reader, Tr possibly even trigger like a residue of it, mm -hmm. they would taste it almost, you know, and weird fiction, in my opinion, offers the best outlet for that, because that's already what it's set up to do. It, it doesn't even really, um, I mean, there are there's plot, and then there are characters, but it's a lot of that is secondary, you know, to to the experience to the atmosphere, uh, to to this revealing, which which it is like it is it is a uh, closely connected to psychoanalysis it just departs i mean you're right that young comes back to a place which is probably more resonant with the re weird fiction authors where it's not uh explainable in that way it's this unknown thing that's beyond us and all of us and everything and it's there and it has life of its own and mm -hmm. we are uh we in, in engage with it and uh, we pretend like we don't you know something like that yeah I agree with everything you said, and I think the this notion of um, just something opening up, which which just destabilizes you, is is important here because um, I want to bring in. I mean, the fact that for some reason horror is is connected to this. I mean, it has a clear connection, but then once you move past it, it's sort of like that's this older thing. So I mean, the, the, just trying to remember this, I can't remember who did the sort of somewhat now famous overview of terror, horror, and then cosmic horror. So, you know, terror is like, um, terror, I guess, would be like a wolf 
chasing you. I mean, you're scared for your life, but a wolf is a is a being that we're all accepting of, and it's a completely realistic situation. I guess within certain bounds. Um, and then you'd move through to maybe horror, where it's um, maybe something like a werewolf is is chasing you. Something that you know begins to question. There, there is an unknown aspect within the thing which is which is malevolently trying to attack you. Um, and then cosmic horror would be, um, I think, Greer, Greer, Greer's example is like, yeah, that's happening, but, you know, that's all happening within the belly of a gigantic, like, cosmic alien like Cthulhu, right? And you realize <laughs> that, and then all of a sudden you have that cosmicism insignificance. And yeah. I think the, the, the strange thing with those three is, I personally don't think, um, you know, maybe cosmic horror could work with the weird, but it would be too much. And I think what what what's almost... It, it it doesn't really fit any of them. It just draws. It draws. It takes the the unknown, which is inherently needed with horror. Like for horror, you know, the fear of the dark, for instance, is the ultimate classic horror. It's because it's unknown. Um. It, but but what weird fiction seems to do is to take the unknown, place it in a setting where there is no longer that negative connotation. So it's not like something's trying to attack you. It isn't an alien trying to kill you. It's not a werewolf. It's not an evil dancing clown. It's just you know, take the monster out. Take the the materiality of horror out and you're left with the numinous. And I think then it's like, you know, Macken is brilliant for this because he describes these things. And it's the decision is really yours as to whether or not you're going to sort of have a panic attack and freak out or you're going to sort of lean into it and say, okay, this is kind of cool. And so the numinous mm-hmm. is almost like the 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 maybe even the moralism and also the emotional response of either pessimism or optimism. This is all gone and it's sort of like you're given to be the you're given the position of of the seeker. And I think maybe an example. I mean, I don't know if anyone's done this, but I think about maybe a weird fiction example of taking a horror object would be instead of a werewolf, you know, being like, oh, it comes out of the moon and it it runs and attacks you on a dark night, spooky night out on the Yorkshire Moors or whatever. A, a weird fiction example would be like, you know, you live in a neighbourhood and one of the neighbours has a pet werewolf right and but it's not violent and so all it is is just and but you're not really sure if they do maybe you see mm-hmm. it one day and that's mm-hmm. and that's it and it's just enough for you to sort of like okay the world isn't i don't feel i don't feel centered anymore you know everything's strange but but i don't i think the main thing is there there isn't as much of a moralism that you see in Macken and lovecraft both respectively have a form i think of moralism somewhere there but yeah. there also isn't there, I don't think there's a pessimism, but I also don't think there's an optimism. I think there's an intrigue and a fascination. And it's up to you if you get to decide that. But I, I think what weird fiction asks is that you don't bring a projection, to use psychoanalytical language. Yeah. You don't bring a projection with you. Um, and and, mm-hmm. and in, in a way, you know, to mention his work, actually, which I think are quite good, uh, Greer's Lovecraftian novels, The Weird of Halley, and this inversion of Lovecraft, where one of the characters is quite literally friends with Nialathotep, you know, that in itself gives a very numinous vibe because all of a sudden this, this like, you know, quote unquote demonic, monstrous uh, Lovecraftian being is, is sort of like, hey man, do you want do you want a hand? You know, and, <laughs> it, and it alters the whole thing. It's quite funny. Mm-hmm. Well, and weird fiction has room for that also in an interesting way. So that like at the end of the, the story, The Shadow Over Innsmouth by Lovecraft, you know, the after the after you read this whole thing about this a lot of times the weird fiction protagonist stumbles into the situation or seeks it out you know it isn't always doesn't necessarily come after them in the same way as in a horror novel perhaps mm. and so after he's into this town and and digging around and finds this old cult and everything at the very end he 
famously joins it. He, he, he merges with the with it. And that's the the numinous or the sublime part. Like it's a, he he just he jumps into the sea and begins to his body begins to change. He begins to grow um, like um, uh, you know, fish parts or whatever. And he, you know he, he chooses to join it. So sometimes you go mad. Sometimes you run away. But you also live with it in a funny way. In a lot of the in a lot of the um, classic weird fiction stories, and. Uh, it's also about like things like coming apart. So the con- the consensus reality is is meant to be undone somehow during the reading experience. Mm-hmm. I never thought about this, but the way you described it, it's almost like phenomenological <laughs> fiction in a certain sense. Like that's the, the in, for a lot of it, that's the main the main drive, the main also draw, you know, of this kind of thing is you want to read it because you know that when you finish the thing, you're going to be left with a certain feeling and you've had a particular kind of experience you don't go in there because you want to like i mean usually the characters are freaking awful you know you don't and the authors of many times are also awful so you don't go there with like oh i want to like sympathize with these characters that's not the point you're you know very two dim- they're often very two-dimensional especially in the older stuff especially in lovecraft i'm thinking lovecraft here yeah i mean it gets better like um in the 90s you know there was this new weird which is, i was also sort of part of like that's where i got more pushed into uh getting an interest in weird fiction as the new weird genre developed at the end of the 90s and then during the 2000s um you know people who i publish in my uh edited volumes now some of them were associated with this new weird or and still are and and that's a that's also a bit different that tries to bring in i mean that's a little bit why i liked it also is it's a little bit what we're talking about that they try to bring in some of these more literary devices liter- uh, and tropes and then merge it with still this weird these this uh these elements of weird fiction that we're talking about rather than just perhaps having it always just be like a repetition of the same kind of formula or something uh, and so people some people might like it some people might not i don't know but i i liked it and i thought that it was it, because i like things like Dion fortune and, and mac and more you know like mm. And even like Charles Williams, for me, his novels are, are super good and super weird. But that's a very literary kind of style that he has. So when the new weird move was to uh, to to try to recombine some of that, like stream of consciousness writing, even and then but making it keeping it with the central focus on the weird, uh, it's it's like a different iter- iteration of it. But but one thought that occurred to me, if I could just share this about again, the it's, it's a more it's a less famous Thomas Ligotti story, but in I don't remember the name of it, but it's in. Uh, one of his collections and really not a lot happens in this thing other than a person like struggling to just get by every day with the kinds of experiences he has, you know, and there's like a gradual unraveling of his grip on things. And there's like one scene where he's just walking down the road and he happens to glance. He's in a city in an urban setting, which is, so this is the, it's very, it's a very realistic and gritty Mm -hmm. setting, you know, and he just happens to glance down a, like a, a stairwell leading into a underneath a house on the block, you know, mm. or the building. And he just looks down there and he sees something like, <laughs> just, it's, it's like opaquely described too, but it's like something like a human head with hand with, with small hands, just a head with small hands. It's like crawling around a bit or something. And uh, he just keeps walking. But it was just like this momentary glimpse of that where he's not really sure if he even saw it or what it means, like what to do with that. But it, it, but this lingering uh, feeling of unease, this destabilized feeling, it's built on a lot of other ones. But it's just an example of like, how do you try to produce these sorts of things? And like, what are you after when you're when you're doing that? You, you are just taking something 
in in Freud's sense of the uncanny, okay, fine, you are in some cases taking something that's familiar and making it unfamiliar. But a lot of times you're taking things that is neither familiar or unfamiliar. I mean, the more of those you can get away from, the better in a weird fiction tale. And that's, again, why the magical is like, the magical world is not our world. It's a different world. So it's it's not something that's familiar to us. It's a different world, you know? Yeah. So if you can get something from that kind of a, of a sense of that and then just like stick it in in a vivid way in the fiction, it does the job of uh of for the the protagonist whoever experienced it but also for the reader you know because then you leave with that with just this like this residue of this image and having having seen it yeah i mean two two stories come to mind as well as picking up my arthur macken collection so one from arthur macken which opens that collection and it really gives you that feeling off the bat uh it's the oxford collection of the great god pan uh just called the lost club and it's become one of my favorites very very Sure, I think it's actually only about five pages, but just this notion of seeing an old friend and he's part of a strange club, and then you something you're not really sure if any of this is real. The characters are not really sure if any of this is real, but if someone's just thrown a seed in to say, "Oh, do this thing," by the way, you should come along, and and then back to normal reality. And it also reminds me of the story which which I can't remember the name of. It's actually one of my favorite Lagotti's because I like these short stories that just pull the rug out and then leave you be um but it's the Lagotti story that opens the penguin collection um about of the of the murderer the serial killer and the the i think it's a prison warden talking about the serial killer and sort of worrying about him and then he just suddenly gets this feeling of yeah and the serial killer i believe is locked up like there is absolutely no possible way this person could ever get to the guy talking about him and then he has this strange feeling and he goes to his daughter's room and the, his five-year-old daughter is like missing and it's like you know end and you know you, you, there's you, you <laughs> that's where you're left right yeah um and i think but th- there's also weird fiction takes really takes something on its shoulders there which i think is very to be honest quite courageous and i think of someone who um you know i mean we've limited limited ourselves to literature but Weird fiction is certainly entering into film, I think, in a big way. But with the the films of Ari Aster, who's sort of bringing that older paganism in Midsummer um, mm-hmm. uh, through to the modern day. Um, but I, you know, I think we have to mention David Lynch. And I think when we talk about the, for me, yeah. if we if we say what's that weird fiction feeling for me, it was just go on YouTube and type in Mulholland Drive, the dr- right. the diner, the diner scene, right? Yeah, yeah. I hope you've seen that. <laughs> but this yeah, notion yeah. of you know this guy at the just to very quickly go over it. I mean, in abstract, but the, 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 this character man who is just having a chat in a diner, and at the moment he's at the start of it, he's so comfortable. He's so like, yeah, it was just I had this weird dream about this place, and he's so like um, secure in the fact it was a dream. But then, as his sort of companion almost lures him into well, uh, going to this corner, which is just around the corner where in his dream, quote unquote, he saw this horrific, just horrible, dirty, greasy, half beggar, almost half monster, almost like slapstick. And just the the reveal of this. And then (laughs) you're left with the man sort of having almost like a heart attack. But why that I think that's important is weird fiction, like with the Lugotti Lugotti story, like with Mm -hmm. Mac and like with Lynch is... No, we we will. The thing is real. You've seen it. Actually, it is real, and you're almost given enough perspectives for you to not be able to deny that. And I think um, you're mentioning phenomenology, and this might sound very pretentious, but it's almost like hyper phenomenology. It's taking phenomenology at its word. You know, there's this great <laughs> mm-hmm. criticism of the logical positivists where they say, well, you know, everything has to be empirical. 
and everything has to be experienced. But at the same time, they they find a way to put a box around all spiritual experience and say, well, that's not experience. That's not what we mean. That's not the evidence we mean, right? <laughs> so it's almost like, well, if you, okay, well, if it's about your relationship with phenomena and we're going to do phenomenology, well, this is the phenomenology that you've got. And, you know, this is how you just approach your, wor- your world. And the, the chat of Arthur Macken, I mean, he does that, especially where you read a Macken story and you go for a walk the next day and all of a sudden, to be honest, your phenomenological relationship with the world has, yeah, has yeah, altered. The, ph- the phenomena is suddenly weird. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the point. Like, it's to distort this It's to distort this world rather than just um, bringing in... There is supernatural, but it's like in and through this world rather than completely from outside or something like that or from like an afterlife or heaven or hell or any Mm. of those types of concepts and another way that it differentiates itself from horror or or maybe more classical horror even in classical supernatural fiction is like it isn't though there's a ghost or a demon and then a priest shows up to like clear it out you know there isn't any of that those kinds of tropes uh going on in it. It, it it is removed uh, from a lot of that and didn't deliberately so even though there might be priests showed up showing up in them but it, it would never like play out <laughs> in a, in such a clear-cut uh way as something mm. as something like that and also like um the other thing that i was uh thinking about here is about like we are focusing on fiction but not only if you were to just look at film not only like david lynch but cronenberg some mm. of his movies could be considered this way and even like some uh, Stanley Kubrick, uh, mm-hmm. like Stephen King's The Shining, just an example. That book isn't necessarily weird fiction. I mean, could, that's maybe debatable. It's more kind of psychological horror if we're sticking mm-hmm. with strict genres here. But the way that Kubrick treats a lot of it in the film does bring in weird fiction more, uh, more um, emphasizes that more, in, in my opinion. And then even going back to the time, the same time we're talking about the beginnings of all this, like a lot of the early Weimar uh, cinema and these kinds of films ha- have a weird fiction uh, quality to them uh, as well. And it also extends into music. Just one example, like Current 93, mm. and they did an album with Ligotti precisely because um, there was a like a resonance there and what they the kinds of art they were producing. So you really could extend it across multiple domains of, of, of art for sure. It's just that you know, I'm I'm doing fiction. I've edited these 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 novellas. I've written it. So for me, it's mostly about the fiction. Although I'm also drawn to all these things I just mentioned. Like in the other arts, this weird quality also attracts my interest. Like for me, the word weird. If something is weird, it means interesting uh, to me. It's like as opposed to something normal. Normality means boring. <laughs> Weird means interesting. Pay attention to that. So I've always been having this kind of aesthetic. Mm. Um, And so therefore, like when I was, again, just to go back to this Mark Fisher book, just for a second, like he, his definition, I pulled it out of what the weird is. He says, um, this is a quote from uh, Mm. the weird, uh, the weird and the eerie. He says, uh, the weird is that which does not belong. The weird brings to the familiar something which ordinarily lies beyond it and which cannot be reconciled with the homely, end quote. So he's he's really pulling on this love, this Freudian uh, essay in a certain sense to, to talk about this. Uh, but that's what that, that's an, it's an OK definition. But but that that also would explain, like, for me, why that's therefore it's interesting. Like if someone's is calling something weird. It can you could think perceive that as negative or something, but 
but really like for me it's more that it's something interesting precisely for these reasons that uh something like he was just describing there like that's interesting if something is fitting in you know like well just let it fit in and blend with blend in then i'm not going to pay attention to it mm. well and i think in that way it's um for many people it's it's that's where that why i wanted to emphasize the notion that it's not positive or negative i think there's a the notion of exit or escape is has always had a sense of weirdness i mean there's a sense of can this be but also can this be maybe even down to a social sense of like a modern day hermit or something out of time mm-hmm. um and yeah i was going to say that uh, you mentioned deleuze in one of the books drawing on deleuze and it makes it does make me think in a Deleuzean sense one of the few times that i can actually use him use his work uh the the notion for Deleuze of the eternal return of the same and difference being the thing which is important and difference is somewhat of a of a rupture which then begins to sort of tighten a tighten a spiral which went which then goes towards a certain direction i mean that's all very very in abstract but i think in the the setting of um many of these texts that we're talking about and i actually think oddly of what came into my mind was the film The Burbs with Tom Hanks with this just strange name <laughs> yeah. and some of them are very, some mm-hmm. of the some of them are very like accepting of it. And mm-hmm. this eternal return of the same of and Dion Fortune actually you could draw in her cosmic doctrine. But people mm-hmm. sort of maybe the weird maybe the you know, it's almost like you have a phenomenological apparatus to see it or you don't. And so some people are just pulled on this current of the same. And then every now and again, someone someone develops something to be able to sort of make a note of the weird rupturing through, and then they follow that current. You know, they go with the cult, they go to Innsmouth, or they just they sit with it and continue to see it. But it's um, it's it's, it's an exit or an escape, which is is not I don't think inherently positive or positive or neg- negative, mm-hmm. but it is different to the extent that it's very cathartic in relation to modernity. You know, it's almost yeah. many of these books. It's almost like, yeah, if I was there, I'd absolutely would go with that because it's really a, a breath of fresh air in relation mm-hmm. to the sort of, you know. And I mean, one one author we haven't mentioned who I'm reluctant to mention, but you know, J.G. Ballard. And I think to be annoying, Ballard's books just have to say they're Ballardian. Really, mm-hmm. there's something about <laughs> them that is just always so so him that. But there yeah. certainly is weird fiction elements. There. I think maybe because right. he is, maybe because he isn't explicitly drawing on magic that that you know and occultism that doesn't have the same feel Mm -hmm. yeah and like these maybe peripheral figures like Ballard but also I was putting William S. Burroughs Mm. perhaps in there certain Philip K. Dick uh, novels are also and short stories um, could also be in this realm and that's why a lot of time it's not necessarily like the main it can be it can be the main uh, corpus of, of work of one artist or something but a lot of times it's maybe people working near or around these these areas and then certain of their work um fall into these these categories um yeah, yeah. well, so, well Val- valis for philip k dick would would be a an explicit example but then the rest of his work i'd probably struggle to find you know something that i'd call weird fiction um, yeah yeah I mean, yeah, like Ubik perhaps is another one that I sometimes think of. And what, what I, again, what I, like, I have my own idiosyncratic idea about this uh, weird fiction. And you had, one of the questions you had sent about postmodern weird fiction mm. versus, because we're talking about weird fiction in connection with modernism very strongly. 
Um, and so there are certain, there is a postmodern uh, kind of weird fiction, I think. Ballard might be someone we could look at as uh, participating in some ele- some version of that. The, the new weird that I mentioned, I think, is also sometimes falling into some of the authors in that genre, falling into that category, like and Burroughs uh, as well. And so, so what I partly what I mean when I'm thinking about it, weird fiction in this way, uh, it's about like one of the things about weird fiction in general, but it's more strong in this, let's say, postmodern current of it is a, is a blurring of, of, of boundaries. It's a destabilizing, but the part of the way it destabilizes is through blurring the boundaries mm-hmm. between, uh, well, yeah, like we were just talking about phenomena and the numinous or something, but it's also blurring the boundaries between the conscious and the unconscious, but, but on a, on a, like on a, on an artistic or a craft level, it blurs the boundaries between the reader and the text mm. and the fiction, because it's trying to get into you, you know, to shift you. And the the magical weird fiction writers really doing this because they're trying to get <laughs> doors open in there so you experience magical reality. They know how to do it too because they're actually practicing magic. Where mm. someone like Lovecraft is reading about it, he doesn't really know how to do it in the same way. Although mm. imaginatively, he's very powerful, so he could have, you know, he's accomplishing things, accomplishing things this way. Uh, but it, it's blurring the line between between author and reader between fiction and reality. Uh, and so the, the postmodern strain of that is, uh, m- in my opinion, more strongly even connected with that. And that's why, so for Philip K. Dick's last three novels, just as an example, beginning with Vallis, this is his last trilogy, all, all, and then he goes to France, you know, this famous moment where he goes to the convention in France and talks about his, his theory about Vallis and what happened to him, his mystical experience. At that point, it's like you're reading it um he's living it and writing it he's believing it or we're not sure like there is like you know this trickery going on but it's all blurring together at that point mm. and, and burroughs does some of this uh in a similar way too so i i also find that at least for me that's an an element of of weird fiction um that i'm also like interested in and that was a little bit what I, you know because we could say well these people are just crazy but this <laughs> the crazy is is underlying this uh, weird fiction genre. You know, it's not trying to get people to go crazy, but it is trying to have them to have experiences that well, I, uh, in the psychological ward, you might say, these are crazy experiences. Well, I, I, th- I think the craziness is if if they don't, if it is if they're dishonest, if the characters mm. are dishonest, and I think it also if the writers were dishonest. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, the honesty, to go back to that Lagotti story, the honesty of the characters to say, yeah, I, I did see this sort of head well, I did see that. That is a real thing. And then mm-hmm. the honesty of Ligotti is to be able to say, look, I can't really say any more about that, but the experience is there. And I think yeah. madness would come from, but this is really back to a to a psychoanalytical reading, but the madness mm-hmm. would become would, would come from a, a repression of that, you know, of like, Innsmouth mm-hmm. doesn't exist, this didn't happen. Right, very, trying to shut it out. Yeah, but I, I mm-hmm. also don't think it's... Um, like a they they go mad in the positive sense of like oh my god this is it's just uh, unnerving and they begin to become like a seeker or lean into it or, or it, it changes their life in, mm-hmm. in in a sort of metaphysical fundamental sense. Um, yeah, like one person I've wondered about if this could be a weird fiction author is uh, L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> yeah, I mean the blending of fiction, fact, religion, made it made well. Well, in some of his later di- books, when he when he's fully going, these Dianetic books about. Uh, there's one book about I don't remember what it's called, but about evolution mm. or something. 
and it is it is out there man so like and it's all blurred together so like when i teach i've taught courses on religion science fiction which are largely composed of weird fiction authors and i i usually talk about also his magical background you know with uh parsons Parsons, so so i don't know where i fall on that but it's just another example of an interesting uh move in in fiction where where fiction suddenly becomes something else you Mm. know Mm. is there anything you'd like to add about weird fiction and touched upon well like the uh, one thing is that in, in per- personally, like I started just maybe this will give some clarification to people about where I'm coming from with this. Like I started reading uh, things like Stephen King, these kind of like night out in the 80s ch- ch- child. So like these this horror was having a boom in the 80s. Whitley Strieber was another one writing at this time and several others. Um, uh, Peter Straub. So I was reading some of that at first, you know, and also comics. <laughs> like you remember the tales from the crypt comics and things like this so reading that and then uh watching these old um universal monster movies and then turning to fiction we could have a psychological discussion about me but we could put that for a different to a different time of why i was doing this this is like five six i'm talking about mm. uh, and i had a magazine actually with a friend of mine and i think we were in like first grade and he, he illustrated it i wrote the stories we were trying to sell this thing to other mm. they were short they were horror stories but anyway i did I, I worked on this all the way up until my 20s in this particular maybe maybe my teens actually this particular horror fiction thing and then i had a, a friend of uh the family when we were visiting new york when i was a teenager who said to me oh you like horror what do you read and i was like oh i told him what i read you know and he kind of looked at me like uh looked like you're not reading the right stuff you know like what you need to read is hp lovecraft and clive barker and i had not heard of, of either of them and i said oh okay so i immediately went out and got it and that shifted like reading both of them which i then read a ton of both of them shifted everything I actually probably was more um influenced by Barker in a lot of ways in terms of my own writing and what I've what Barker we can put in here even though it's definitely horror and like body horror but there's a he's we, he has some weird fiction elements as well and one of the things he does is he's able to take uh sex and particularly like doesn't have to be like you know heteronormative sex but just sex in general and and just make it completely weird you know, and it's not that they and, and destabilize you just the way he describes it and how he uses it in his stories, where it's the kind of thing like, doesn't everybody just want to have sex? You know, it's a good thing in society. And he takes this and he's able to use that thing uh, as this destabilizing factor. And I remember that was very fascinating uh, to me how he did that. Like, it made me realize like how what one is doing with weird fic with good horror fiction and weird fiction, like you're trying to take you're trying to twist these, uh, these, these things that seem kind of settled. Uh, for us and that's part of the destabilizing um effect so and from anyway so then that from having that realization eventually led into uh, interest in esoterics and and occult authors like even crowley's short fiction maybe this is kind of weird fiction uh as well actually so so machin is the one i like the most he's the one i'm I'm most similar in what i'm the way i in thinking about weird fiction and, and what i like to do uh, but it eventually arrives at this kind of magical, like how to how to trigger uh, an experience of the magical in the reader, and and not in some kind of contrived way, but like in a phenomenological way, in an emotional way, like really to get them uh, to see what you, what you're seeing, even even if you're just seeing in your imagination. It's a challenge, but it is like the challenge of 
weird fiction. You know, it's not just to entertain. It's trying to like get this into you so that you also have it. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. I mean, for me, I mean, just adding where this interest came from for myself, as you added in your own. I mean, I live in a place that I would consider to be weird in that sense, which is Norfolk. The county of Norfolk is a very, it's a very strange. Is it like Innsmouth? Yeah, it is like, well, it is literally <laughs> like Innsmouth because it, it's, um, it reminds me of if you've seen, which is another somewhat weird fiction film, though maybe it leans a bit more towards horror, be uh, in in the mouth of madness. Um, mm-hmm. by John Carpenter. Yeah, I know and this. this. I would the, put that in there, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so this notion of Hobbs End being this place that you only really get to via this sort of strange dream road where you just keep driving, you keep driving, then all of a sudden you're there and you don't really know how you got there. I mean, Norfolk is very much like this. It's this cut-off county that you only you only come here if you have reason to and you only leave if you have reason to um, and very backwater and strange. And um, But I've I've mentioned this... And Richard Gavin, the horror author, when I interviewed him, he said the same thing. That when I was young, if you go to old, there's a lot of like old theme parks, especially um, in 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 the area that I live. You know, not the money to upkeep them, mm-hmm. and also like you know, just around the country, you'd end up going to these sort of affordable, cheap theme parks where the animatronics and the displays. Ha- worked enough to work but hadn't really been updated or cleaned because of funding and i remember as a child like just staring for ages at, at um uncanny animatronics and and uh, if anyone's ever i don't know really how to explain this fully but you can go through the like, sort of almost like fake museums where the dioramas are behind glass and right. there's uh, animatronics that maybe just move one thing. But the thing mm-hmm. that always I found strange as a child was that, you know, the the the, the mannequins that are made to look real are completely uncanny. You know they're not real. But because there's this um, – I obviously didn't think this when I was young, but looking back, this is probably why it fascinated me – is that they are given objects that are entirely real. So, like, if there was a, a diorama of a – a woman in Victorian Britain, like I don't know, do it how they did the ironing. She would be given those literal objects, and so there's a complete blending of fiction and fact. And this 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 feeling I had as a child would was if I was to go through the glass, that would be like that would be a horrible place to be. It was something horribly um, uncanny and numinous about it, and I'd just end up staring at them. So that feeling, I mean, I but I what I would say, what the reason I would say that is, I do remember really enjoying that feeling. The same feeling I get now with horror films is. I always, I'm always, you know, I want them to go. I want them to to open the door or delve in, or you right. know, I, I enjoy that feeling. Um, and I think, the, I think the main thing is not bringing a projection with you. You know, um, I mean, it. Mm-hmm. I'm not a huge fan of it, but this, this. I mean, it's a very psychoanalytical film. I Stephen King. Stephen yeah. King. Yeah, mm-hmm. I wouldn't. Maybe the book is a bit weird, but the film not so much. But this, mm-hmm. this. The one important thing I think to take from it is that, and it's very cheap, really. At the end, it's this notion that the 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 clown is really this this figment that has been built from, in the book, more so the fear of puberty. And right. the, the the sexual psychoanalytical uh, uh, transition of all these children becoming adults, their their fear of that, and in the film it's more so that they they built this fear as kids and carried it with them, and then you know when they finally they all start shouting like we're not scared of you, it deflates. Now yeah. 
for me, what would have been a more interesting ending is they shout, we're not scared of you, and the clown remains but just talks to them or something, right? Mm-hmm. So don't bring the projection with you. But when you actually stop that, and this is why, going off on a horror tangent, I mean, this is why I always find the pinhead and the the Cenobites from Hellraiser mm-hmm. to be really interesting characters because yeah. outside of the one anomaly where, God, what's her name, accidentally does the box... They mm-hmm. have this code where, look, you you called, we came. This isn't like we're going to come haunt you for any reason. We're not going to kill you or attack you for any reason. They have this mm-hmm. very almost like and inverse utilitarian thing of, no, you, okay, you called the box. You want to yeah. do this. We're just a force of nature. So you know, the, this the, is what yeah, we do. Yeah, there's force of nature. And there's something not scary about them because of that. Because you say, well, I'm not going to piss around with a box. So I'm not too mm-hmm. worried about it. But these people who want to delve in they're delving in and pinhead is like yeah okay let's go you know yeah and that's how i think it's like those are some of course all the horror writers read weird fiction like this if we're like it it is in one sense splitting hairs to take supernatural horror fiction and weird fiction they're all and science fiction is why we have the term speculative fiction Mm. but you can of course categorize them more but they're all overlapping and influencing each other so like those techniques there uh come from barker he's also has read all of these classic weird fiction authors and he's mm-hmm. he's using them and and that's a good example i think of how it's more weird fiction and also his his story about um the night breed uh mm-hmm. this is another one where it's um you're living with the the horror and you know it isn't that's another example. I don't really need to go through the plot because we've been going through several of them here. But that's like, if people are interested, that's another example where I see the weird fiction style, you know, or, or influence also coming through in what in what Barker's trying to do there. Um, if I could say one more thing about, like, where we are now, maybe. Like, mm-hmm. so we talked about postmodern type of, of weird fiction or something. And, like... My journey of editing weird fiction began. The first one I edited was called the the Shadow of the Unknown, and this I did a long time ago. It's out of print now, but the whole purpose of that was to try to, um, you know, refine all of these ideas I've been talking about here through through curating weird fiction that did this in ways that I thought was effective. And this then led to f- further collections that I've edited based on Lovecraft. Like I have one uh anthology edited called the gods of hp lovecraft hmm. and then i did one uh following that i just one the one that i sent you that just came out it's called as uh, based on one of the gods in lovecraft's pantheon azathoth mm-hmm. but um if you actually read these like if you just look at them on the surface you would say oh he's it's this is a kind of lovecraftian book you know mm-hmm. it's follow it's just following in this this genre or, but if you actually read the stories you would notice i think that they're not your typical type of um, Lovecraft. I mean, they're, they're, they are Lovecrafting in a certain sense, and they are weird fiction, but they're also like my style of it, you know? And so I think you would see that in all of the, the stories that I've chosen uh, for these books. And this also has to do with my influence and being also coming into being, I guess, as a writer or an editor around the same time as this new weird um, movement uh, was starting. And so, like, um, just some e- examples of, of the new weird uh, is, like, um, Kathy Koja mm. has some great novels um, in this in, in this vein. Storm Constantine and Tanith Lee, both two authors that I really liked, but they uh, they both pa- uh, passed away now. 
in the, like when I teach my religion and science fiction course, I even put some Octavia Butler in there. Yeah. Uh, Cause even some of that is um, I think resonates with, with the, with the kind of this kind of new expression of, of weird fiction. But then like there's China Mayville or M. John Harrison. There's also this kind of newer uh, approach. And Laird Barron is another one who uh, has been in several of my anthologies because I like his, his style mm. as well. I'm probably other than like uh, Tanith Lee and Storm Constantine, I'm probably more interested in the magical part of it, but it comes through more and more. So in, in the anthologies I'm doing, so you can see, like esotericism, the occult, magic, and weird fiction. Like for me, these are very, uh, very much together in my own in my own uh, in my own interpretation of it, which is in some ways contrary to a hardcore Lovecraftian approach, we could say, which is a lot of times atheistic, materialistic, scientific, pessimistic, and drawing on these themes more. It's not that I discount those themes, but I'm more interested in this other influence. And yet they're packaged within these Lovecraftian books. So it's kind of a funny thing going on there. So just to give some explanations about that. Yeah. I mean, as you mentioned some works, I mean, there's there's actually two two films that I would probably mention that I've watched now a few times. The first one, I mean, people will know that I've mentioned this all the time. The first one is a film called A Dark Song, which I believe was released in 2017, which is um, about two people doing the Abram, Abramalin operation. And mm-hmm. they don't, the film doesn't follow the steps of the Abramalin really that closely at all. Um, probably wouldn't make for a great film. But the one thing that, <laughs> that really uh, really interests me and, and, and made me really fall in love with that film is that they treat occultism completely sincerely. And even though what you see on screen isn't what will happen in what you would do in the Abramalin, what you see on screen is genuine occultism and it is what it would be like and you know, a little bit of drama- dramatization here or there, but ultimately the film is carried by that sincerity and I think that's brilliant. The other film I'd, I'd mention, it is a very heavily psychoanalytical film but it's from a collection of stories called uh, something like The Uncanny um, by the guy who wrote Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, if people have seen that. There's a film called Possum, which is actually set in my county, which is why I originally watched it. So you can see my county and all its strangeness in that film <laughs> in an uncanny film by a man haunted by an absolutely terrifying puppet. Um, very mm. Lagotian, very, very, very horrible, weird film. But those are the two I'd, I'd, I'd add in. As for the, the problem, my problem with the fiction is like with the weird stuff. I mean, I'm going to just say go read, go read Macken really, or go read some, mm-hmm. other, go read Lovecraft. Not, not to say mm-hmm. those two, you know, haven't been. You know, Lagotti is also great, um, but uh, it's good places to start. Yeah, it's know. good places to start. I d- I'm trying to think of maybe the work that made me feel like the most unnerved, or you know, gave me that that sense of of weirdness. The longest i'm sort of drawing a blank really yeah i mean for me it was um Lugati, Mackin, and fortune those are the ones i think that were like and barker if we're including some of his stuff but those were the most effective in my ex- like reading experience of being able to do it you know there's a, a show that maybe you've heard of on i think it's on youtube or maybe it's on some other mm. streaming platform as well called hellier mm. have you heard of this show no, no. this is also arguably in, in line with if we're going to say a postmodern weird or a post postmodern weird because it's like it's all about the occult it's all about trying to like find ancient or paranormal or cryptoid things out in the woods and so forth but it's 
it's um it's done in such a way that it's like blurring the kind of reality tv show with the actual characters and writers and you don't really know if they believe it or if they're just writing it or if they're what they're reporting is real or if what you're seeing is the correct way to be seeing it so this blurring uh, in that show is um i think also um, worth mentioning all right well there's some recommendations for everyone um yeah. and where can your collections of weird fiction and lovecraftian fiction be found um i'm really not good at this so you I unfortunately i'll put the, the links in the description you probably have to go to amazon even though i wish i could send you can also go to some of them are published by journalstone publishing so if you want to go the, to the direct publisher you can go to journalstone publishing but if you go to my amazon page they're all linked there all right wow that was a great conversation yeah thank Aaron you french thanks very much